Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why lightning strikes were vital to the origin of life on Earth, how we know cuttlefish have the power of self-control, and why your roommate doesn't know how you're feeling. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Researchers in the UK have shocking news. It's about lightning. Get it? I do. Perfect. So these researchers have uncovered evidence that lightning strikes likely played a key role in creating the conditions for life to emerge about 3.5 billion years ago. Here's why they think so. Life as we know it can't exist without phosphorus. That's because the stuff plays a role in just about everything that living things have in common. That's everything from the membranes of cells to DNA's charming little double helix shape. The thing is, Earth didn't always have the phosphorus it needed for life to begin, let alone flourish. There was phosphorus on Earth four billion years ago, but it was locked up in minerals that don't dissolve in water. That made it pretty useless for would-be biomolecules. Researchers have spent decades saying that meteorites might be how the earliest stirrings of life overcame the phosphorus problem. That's because meteorites can be partly made of a mineral called schreibersite, which contains phosphorus and dissolves in water. The mineral isn't too common these days, but researchers thought schreibersite-containing meteorites might have provided the phosphorus necessary to prime the engine of life. But it turns out that's not the only way schreibersite appeared on our ancient planet. Fast forward to 2016, when lightning struck the ground right outside Chicago, in a suburb called Glen Ellen. The strike formed a kind of rock called fulgurite, which the property owners donated to Wheaton College. Researchers in the UK got their hands on the sample because they wanted to study how it had formed. But once they started looking closely, the researchers realized the rock contained a whole lot of, wouldn't you believe it, Schreibersite. Lightning struck the ground and then phosphorus appeared, free for the taking. It's a huge insight, and it might make up for a shortcoming of the meteorite theory. See, Earth used to get banged up by meteorites all the time, but the rate of collisions dropped off right about the time life was on the rise. What the early Earth did get struck by was lightning. Strikes were between two and ten times more common long ago than they are today. That's a lot of lightning over the millennia, and probably a lot of phosphorus, too. And get this, if lightning can provide early life the phosphorus it needs then life could develop on an Earth-like planet at any time, not just when meteorites are raining down all the time. See? It all comes back to aliens. Wait, really? I mean, like, theoretically. Like, maybe, possibly. So you're saying there's a chance. There's always a chance. There's always a chance. Yes. <laughs> Cephalopods like cuttlefish and octopuses are quickly redefining how we think about animal smarts. And the latest example is pretty shocking. Cody, that's, that's not even a pun. This story has nothing to do with lightning. Hey, wait, wait, how about, how about this latest example doesn't suck? <laughs> <laughs> it got me there. <laughs> so a cuttlefish just passed the famous marshmallow test. That's a classic measure of self-control. This means that the cuttlefish get to join a club that has so far only admitted primates and a few birds. 
The marshmallow test is a common test for self-control that was developed by Stanford psychologists in the 1970s. The participant was usually a small child, and they'd be offered two choices. They could either have a single marshmallow now, or they could wait 15 minutes and get a whopping two marshmallows. It measures how long a child can delay gratification. Now, since then, biologists have been using the marshmallow test to study cognition in non-human animals. The latest of these is the bizarre, color-changing, backward-swimming, tiny Cthulhu impersonator, otherwise known as the cuttlefish. We've known for a long time that these guys are smart, but they tend to surprise scientists almost every time their intelligence is explored. In this latest exploration, a researcher at Cambridge University named Alex Schell decided to give cuttlefish their own version of the marshmallow test. But he didn't give them a choice between one marshmallow or two. He gave them a choice between a so-so treat, like Asian shore crab, and a beloved treat, the tasty, tasty grass shrimp. I want sushi just thinking about it. Each item was placed behind a sliding glass door with a symbol on it that the cuttlefish was trained to recognize as meaning either the door will open immediately or on a delay. The cuttlefish in the experiment were able to wait up to 130 seconds for the better treat, often even sitting in a position where they couldn't see the immediately available treat as if they were trying to ignore it by removing it from their view. That's similar to a strategy used by some kids in the original marshmallow test. And this ability is a big deal because an animal that is able to weigh its options and even pay a small cost for better long-term outcomes might survive longer in the wild than an animal that can't. Cuttlefish are also helping scientists re-examine their expectations for intelligence. Cuttlefish evolved to be intelligent in a completely different way than birds or primates did, and studying them gives scientists a way to better understand the different forms that intelligence can take. So what can't cuttlefish do? Well, you'll have to delay that gratification until there's more research. Just because you live with someone doesn't mean you know how they're feeling. We remastered this clip from 2018 that might help you ease your roommate relations, whether you're in college or married with children. Have you ever wondered why it's so hard to get along with roommates? Like even when the roommates are really good friends? Yes, I really have. <laughs> well, we found a study from New York University that says that roommates have a strong tendency to underestimate each other's distress regardless of how close they are. They looked at roommates who have been together for at least five months and participants told researchers about their overall state of well-being. Then they checked in later and asked the roommates, how do you think a roommate's well-being is? Almost across the board, the students ended up feeling like their roommates were not having nearly as hard of a time as they were in reality. So basically, if you felt you were having a terrible day, I might just think you're having kind of a bad day. And this was really significant. On average, roommates grew stressed about four times more quickly than their roommates would estimate. So let's say at the start of the month, I thought my stress level was 3 out of 10, and then later in the month, it was 7 out of 10. My roommate might think it had gone from a 3 to a 4. Wow. Yeah. So just a little bit more stress, but in reality, I'm just... Oh. Wait, but that's, but that's just roommates, right? That's just like college students. I can definitely tell what my boyfriend's feeling, right? So not so fast. A study from Southern Methodist University was published the same month 
and it found similar tendencies in romantic couples. Oh, that's bad news. Yeah. So even if you live with your significant other or spouse, don't assume that you know how the people around you are feeling. And that's the big takeaway from the study. Ask how they're doing because you might be surprised at their answers. Yeah, that's that's a good lesson all the time. And tell people how you're feeling. Just communication. Communication is key. Yeah, it's uh, you do have to take some responsibility. If somebody says, how's your day? And you say, fine. And it's not fine. Well, that's on you. All right, well, let's recap what we learned today. We learned that researchers think lightning strikes played a key role in the formation of life on Earth. And that's because lightning provided the planet with phosphorus, which we would otherwise only get from meteorites. There was a ton of lightning on early Earth, so maybe other lightning-rich planets could someday support life, too. Ashley, this just backs up my theory that geology is the coolest, most underrated branch of science. Yeah. Or at least the most underrated. Remember that story we did? We did a story a while back about how an ancient supernova may be partly responsible for why humans walk upright. You can search ancient supernova on curiositydaily.com. But the gist of it was a supernova happened. It created more gamma radiation coming onto our planet, which theoretically caused more lightning strikes, which started fires, which would burn everything down. So there were more grasslands. And then humans evolved to walk upright because it was an evolutionary advantage for us to be tall to see over the grasslands. And they figured that out by looking at rocks. I'm telling you, it's like <laughs> the stuff they figure out is so amazing. I also wanted to mention, Cody, have you ever seen Fulgurite? No. Like, just Google just Google it right now. <laughs> it's incredible. It's basically lightning in stone. Oh, that does look cool. It's like lightning strikes the ground and it kind of vaporizes all of the, the silica in the soil and it all hardens again into the shape of the lightning. It's so cool. Everyone needs to look this up. It's very amazing. Fulgurite. Yeah. And we learned that cuttlefish passed the marshmallow test, or in their case, it was the grass shrimp test. In some cases, they were able to wait for more than two minutes to get that better treat than the one they were initially offered. And researchers say that animals that can think using long-term cost-benefit analysis like this might survive longer than other animals in the wild. I freaking love cuttlefish. I know it's C-U-T-T-L-E. I always think C-U-D-D-L-E because they're just, they're adorable and cuddly and I love them. So are cuttlefish the new tardigrades of curiosity? They're not the new tardigrades. They just get to join. They, I mean, come on in The just all the animals that I love. Come hang out with me. They're, <laughs> they're up in the upper echelon of curiosity interests along with tardigrades. And microbiomes. Got it. The upper echelon, if you will. Because Ashley, that was really good. <laughs> thank, that was really you. good. Like, it was so good I didn't laugh. Not like it was so funny I forgot to laugh. I don't mean it in that <laughs> passive-aggressive way. Like, it was it was so satisfying. I just gave it a second, and I just let it kind of go, you know, and just enjoyed it in silence on a podcast, which is always better. That's always better. <laughs> learned that people tend to underestimate how stressed out their roommates are. Whether you live with a roommate who's just a friend or a significant other, research suggests that you should ask them how they're feeling and tell them how you're feeling more often. So in that clip, you're like me and my boyfriend. 
But now he's her husband, so are you getting used to that? I, I, It's taken a lot to get used to, for sure. Like, every time I say it, especially when I say it to strangers who, like, don't know that this is new, I'm always like, husband. And they're like, what are you doing with your face right now? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been fun. And it's, it is starting to feel more comfortable using the word husband, yes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Today's writers were Grant Curran and Cameron Duke. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. Ask your roommate how they're feeling. The answer may shock you. (laughs) Then join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious.